Oh, it's all kicking off between the backs and the greens Cos Ember Aaron didn't have a son Now the swords will flash and the togs will clash To the echo of a dragon song Oh, it's all kicking off between the black. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a little bitty flash fog. To quickly give our first impressions of the final episode of House of the Dragons, season one. My name is Bina007. This is Vassals of King's Grave. We will spoil potentially anything in the written works of George R. R. Martin, but not House of the Dragon, uh, House of the Dragons, Game of Thrones beyond season five. Um, I am joined by Jock. Hello, Jock. Jock Munlo on the Discord. And also by the person formerly known as Jeff14. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us about the change in name? Uh, sure. Uh, so name's Jeff. Uh, sort of the morning now. Ironically, this is also the account I use to play video games. So that's why I have the obnoxious Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire title. And then in games, Sword of the Dawn, because Sword of the Morning's too long. But I'm fine with just being calling Jeff and I'm too lazy to actually change it. <laughs> I... That's brilliant. <laughs> I think I got into Song of Ice and Fire probably around season one, but ironically, I didn't get it through the book or through the series. I actually got it through the books and then found Valk through Podcast of Ice and Fire, I think around episode 100. And I went through and re listened to all the original 100 Valks uh, when I was marathoning through for work. So that's kind of my background. And then I've been gone for probably four or five years and I'm back. Blimey. And what got you back in? House of the Dragon, I'm assuming, getting back into the universe. Yeah, House of the... I was so furious with the end of Game of Thrones that I just I just stopped. And then I couldn't deal with the fact that it's been 10 years since the next book's come out. So I went on a little relapse and now I'm back. Well, welcome back. Do you have a favorite character in the world of George R. R. Martin? Um, has it changed? Because you would have done this little intro last time you vocked with us, but um, who's your current favorite? Maybe your favorite in this season series or Game of Thrones? Maybe it is Arthur Day and I don't know. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, so my favorite in A Song of Ice and Fire uh, is probably Jon Snow because I am a boring person. And then controversially, my favorite in... A House of the Dragon is actually Alicent. Um, oh, we picked an episode where she's not in it. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> and then I'm going to add, because I know it's going to annoy Pina, um, my least favorite's Jamie. Well, I can see that. I acknowledge that my love of Jamie is unusual. So that doesn't, that doesn't annoy me. I think that's kind of valid. I think I'm very much the outlier there. Anyway, welcome back to Vok. It's lovely to have you on. Uh, to explain to the listener, there will be your regularly scheduled dragon cast and wolf cast this week. This is just a little Blackfire Rebellion sort of mini Vok um, that will go out when the episode's released for those of you who just absolutely can't wait for a bit of um, a bit of chat. Obviously, this episode was leaked, so some people, I feel, were kind of forced to watch it ahead of time for fear of being spoiled because, I mean, it was kind of everywhere. I think that's probably the position we're all in. Um, but let's just get into it. So, Jock, what was your lemon cake rating both for this episode and then for the series as a whole now that we have it as a whole? Um, I'd say four out of five for this one. I um, really liked the episode. I just um, wish we got to see uh, Winterfell, um, but love seeing um, Storm's End and sort of like all of its glory, which I don't think we saw a version in Game of Thrones. Don't remember. 
I don't remember either. But it looked absolutely amazing. The OE, the OE shot out with like the Stormlands and with all the storms and having dragons flying in it. And it was pretty amazing visually. Yeah, we can get into it. I think the CGI of that final dragon confrontation was, was pretty epic. How come you doctored a point? Was there something in particular you didn't like? Or just in general, there's other episodes you preferred? Um, needs more Clegg and Stark. <laughs> and for the season as a whole, do you feel happy with it so far? Actually, it's probably one of my favourite shows I've seen this year, and it's near the end of a year, so... Yeah, me too. Five out of five. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay, um, over to you, Jeff. Thank you. I'll probably give it a four out of five. I agree that I love seeing Dragonstone, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Storm's End. Honestly, I don't think I appreciated Vagar's size. That was probably amazing to see just the size she has um, compared to the other dragons that I don't remember their name. And then overall, I'd probably give it to a four. The series completely blew past my expectations. However, I kind of want to reserve fives for like actually the best of Game of Thrones, as well as there were some decisions within the season that I wasn't entirely thrilled of, which are somewhat more controversial right now. Yeah, is that all about the prophecy, or is that other stuff as well? Uh, the prophecy, I really didn't like Rainey's entrance last season. Um, and I think y'all have convinced me that it makes sense why she didn't kill the Greens, but... I don't like that the showrunners put her in that position to begin with, and that's just largely my reservation, though I did truly enjoy her at this episode. Yeah, they're definitely trying to play up the female rulers want to preserve the good of the small folk idea, aren't they? And only acting violence when pushed, which maybe is gender normative. I don't know. And then for me, I would say all the lemon cakes, like infinity lemon cakes for this episode, minus one lemon cake for the prophecy, because... But, you know, at least they're using it if they introduced it, I guess, is is what you would say. I mean, I love the atmosphere. I love the cinematography. I love the set design. I love the acting. Oh, my God. So many lemon cakes to the actors. I mean, there are so many episodes when I watched them this season where I was like, oh, my God, that's so good. So subtle. So nuanced. And this was just yet another one where so much of the acting between Rhaenyra and Damon was sort of glances unspoken. So I... I really love this episode. And actually looking at it as a season, I think some of the choices have paid off. Some I still find find clumsy. There are still characters I think they've done dirty. But this is about as excited as I've been for this world, um, probably since season one, one of Game of Thrones. And in many ways, I think it's better. Like, I think this is like me watching Rogue One thinking, oh my God, is this actually my favorite Star Wars film? Like, um, it's that kind of unexpectedly good. Like, I didn't think it was going to be this good. So it's really sucked me in. Hence my enthusiasm to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, let's get into the episode. So as we start, so most of this really up until the final scene is set um, in the Court of the Blacks. In that early part of the episode, the one thing that did surprise me, I don't know if it just surprised me, was um, Rhaenyra looking so surprised. Like when she's given the news that Aegon's been crowned, and by the High Septon in front of lots of people. She looks really surprised. And is it surprise at Alicent's betrayal? Is it surpri- is it politically naive? I mean, how did you find that? And is, is that something that surprised you or felt real, credible? I don't know. I guess if you take from her perspective, the last time she interacted with Alicent was at the feast where they agreed to patch up. So from that context, I could see general, general excuse me, God, wow. General surprise, but at the same time, given Otto's position, it shouldn't really have caught her off guard, especially Ooh. with the mindset of if you believe Allison's in charge, it could catch her off surprise. But if you're assuming Otto at least have some say in some power in the kingdom or in King's Landing, 
this is like the only logical out- outcome. Excuse me. Yeah, I agree. Jock, any thoughts on that? Honestly, I thought like the shock was more of um, due to your expect in the news to be about uh, Chorus Valerian and not um, the events in King's Landing. Oh, maybe I'll have to rewatch. Maybe you're right. Okay, well, that would give it a different spin and an important spin, right? Because then he becomes a very important player. And then we go almost immediately into the birthing scene, which I guess we're meant to believe is brought on by the shock of her father's death and um, the crowning. And, oh, you know, absolutely devastating um, insofar as she births a stillborn child. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're really leaning into the birthing, the birthing bed as the battleground theme that we've had since the first episode with her mother. And at first I was like, oh my God, they're being very explicit about this birth scene. Then I thought, actually, how, when have I ever seen a still, a stillbirth on screen before? And I don't think I really have. And um, I actually thought it was handled quite well in terms of being kind of very raw and vulnerable and showing like what it must feel like for the mother and how traumatic it is but any any thoughts from you guys i think my only other thought was that maybe they should have put a trigger warning at the start of the episode because i mean that could be very triggering for someone um jeff you want to go first sure uh i guess the only thing i could say is like it was a clearly visual reaction and i'm sure that's what they're going for but at this point i could go without not seeing another birth season birth in house of the dragons because i think we've had four or five this season and kind of done <laughs> i think that's probably how the women feel themselves <laughs> chalk any thoughts um well it's just like i was um it's completely unrelated but um around about the same time as i was watching i was reading about um how salvador's abortion laws and how they're basically glamorizing um miscarriages and stillbirths so um really gosh oh yeah. wow but it is i mean it is heartbreaking and i think I guess in a show that wants to show you that in general, the women are trying to be restrained rulers and only go to war when their children are threatened. I mean, maybe they're hammering it too hard as a point, but I think the sort of the start of this episode where she's lost one child and then the end where she's lost another. And this, I think, we're meant to think as a matter of days um, as, as a means to driving a reasonable humanitarian woman to war. I think they're giving her all the sympathy there, maybe compared to Alison. If you're an Alison stan, how do you view their relative motivations as mothers, I guess, Jeff? Oh, probably they're both looking out for their, their children, which, I mean, is the very generic answer. But I, I'd agree that this episode made Rhaenyra seem fairly sympathetic, as well as what Alison was last season. And I did appreciate that it seemed like she was taking Viserys' rule to heart and thinking about the kingdom as a whole, rather than just... The projection of power that uh, Damon was showing. I thought it was really interesting in a in a season. So if you think of the themes of the season, one has definitely been the birthing bed, but I think another one has been about sexual consent. So both with Rhaenyra when she was really young with her uncle, and then with Alison and um, Laris Strong last episode, and then in this one, um, sexual and political consent become really interesting. So at one point. You know, after the awful birthing scene, you have Damon asking um, the various sort of courtiers, are you going to bend the knee to my wife? Um, at the point, at, drag- at dragon point, rather than even sword point, um, how far can you trust that oath? And then, like, thinking of political consent, like, we think she's in control, like, far more in control of her life than Alison, I always thought. But then he literally does a power grab in terms of grabbing her throat. Um, how did you guys feel about that? That scene really shocked me, I have to say. I was not expecting that in that power dynamic. 
Like, um, obviously, like, political consent is, like, a topic which is uh, very broad, and um, I tend to sit there with, like, the sort of, like, um, David Hume uh, sort of interpretation, where um, it's just really the conquest of all against all, rather than um, any real consent being involved. It's more a sort of power dynamic. Um, mm. That's very so dark, I- isn't it? Maybe that is what George R. R. Martin thinks. Gosh. I think George R. R. Martin's more Mac- Machiavellian than uh, Humean. Like, um, I think like um, Machiavelli is like quite the publican and democratic sort of um, optimism, sort of cynical optimism, rather than Hume's sort of like there is no God, like everything's um, all empiricist sort of um, inductive reasoning. Um, mm. I really see in Martin's work. I could be wrong. I guess my question is, do you think this is how Damon normally reacts, or is it more bloodlust for war that's warping his mind? Which both are inexcusable. I'm just curious if you think over the last six years, this is how Damon's acted the entire time, or if it's more of the lust for power and just the lust for war and the fact that his family is being threatened, that he's raging and acting out in a manner that we all know he can. It's really weird because I was just about to say, I think this is out of character, but then, you know, we did see him basically quasi-murder his wife in the Vale of Arryn, right? Um, But we've not really seen much of him in the intervening years to know if this is normal. Like, has he ever physically manhandled her before? We don't know. I I tend to think it's because he's he's an extremist because he sees a chance for power. But it doesn't really feel to me like with the like with Alison and Rhaenyra, I get the, especially Alison, I get the feeling she's doing it to protect her children. I don't really get the feeling it's for his kids. I think it's just more, you know, he's had to bend the knee to his wife in this episode or a bit later on in this episode. And maybe it's just that if he can control her, he can be 100% in charge. Like he was second to Viserys. He's kind of second to this queen. But if he can get her into war and be a military commander, maybe he becomes the top guy. I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? I thought we, or at least my, we were previously established that he was never a threat to Viserys. Or like the if he was hand, he would cover Viserys' flaws. So this seems kind of a contradiction on like he's outwardly aggressing against Rhaenyra. Um, I guess you could interpret it as it's entirely looking out for the house and acting out and trying to do the dirty work that Renera doesn't want to think about for now. And that kind of mm. plays into the idea of disregarding her orders and then setting up everything in the sense of she knows what has to be done. And there, there is the overall sense of aggression, but he's just the dark dagger that's ready to do what's needed. And the iron fist in the velvet glove. Yes. Yeah, literally shaking her into action. Um, but then she does make that emotional power move, which is, oh, oh, he didn't tell you about the prophecy, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, yeah, let's see how that dynamic plays out. The, the funny thing is, is I haven't read the books in so long. I can't. I don't know if this is true to Damon in the books, um, but I thought it was a very strong performance from both actors. But it, it really came out of the blue for me. How about you, Jock? How did you feel about it in terms of character? Did it feel out of character for you, for Damon? Um, like to be honest, like with Damon, throughout the whole thing, I've obviously uh, struggled a bit because I'm a fan of Doctor Who, and um, <laughs> we talked like combining like um, the Doctor and like Prince Philip with Damon, who is all very different characters who all like um, have an influence on my impression of Matt Smith. So I bring a lot of baggage to the portrayal that 
Although don't you think Prince Philip's quite similar insofar as he, again, is a, sub- a military person, like Prince Philip was a naval officer, who probably does quite enjoy good war. He's subordinate to his wife because she's the one who's ruling and he has to exert his influence through her. Um, and in The Crown, when you watch the Matt Smith parts of The Crown, there is a bit of that snark and a bit of that, um, I'm, I'm giving orders and you're coming in and countermanding, countermanding them, but I'm going to counter-countermand them with a... DD glance. I actually felt it was quite similar in some ways. Well, they don't want to imply that Prince Philip's a psychopathic statement, but yeah. <laughs> do you think, do you have that as an American viewer, Jeff? Do you think people in America have all the kind of the cultural role baggage that we bring to Matt Smith? Because I think, I think Jock's spot on for an English audience. I know I don't. And I would say, I would say the general audience definitely does not, but you could argue that there's a certain aspect of a Song of Ice and Fire fans and House of Dragon fans that also watched The Doctor, and then obviously they would still have that attachment. But I think, generally speaking, Americans would not. Mm, yeah. So I, I, yeah. So maybe you guys are luckier because you have the blank canvas and just the acting, which is probably a good thing. But I did find it all very, very interesting seeing the two of them interact, and a lot of it was just with frosty glances. I thought the acting was really good up until that very shocking like physical moment. She does seem hell-bent on not acting too quickly, saving the small folk, doing what is best for Westeros. Like She does that amazing speech, doesn't she, where she says, we Targaryens are meant to be close to gods, but actually we've got to act in the interest of men, um, which was very good. And there was a point where Lord Corliss sort of pledges the fleet to her, where she seems very humbled when she says, you honour me, Lord Corliss. I did find that I felt Rennes in this episode was more... Um, not Renes, Rhaenyra was more like Alison insofar as she does seem more constrained. Like the permissible boundaries on which she's wanting to act are enforced ultimately by violence, her husband. But just in general, like, you know, when he's like, oh, come on, just look at this map. You know, you stop talking about men having this, this and this. You know, we have this many dragons and we have a fleet that controls the entrance to King's Landing. There's kind of a momentum that's sweeping her forward towards conflict that she doesn't seem able to stop. Do you feel um, that if her son hadn't been swallowed by a, by a dragon that, or sort of knocked off his dragon by a dragon, that she might have brokered a peace? Was was peace ever possible? Was peace possible in this episode? I think Rhaenyra and Alicent wanted peace, but I think the lords of the realm would not allow it. But if they wanted peace, one of them needs to bend the knee to the other. I think she would trust Rhaenyra. She wouldn't trust Damon. Mm, exactly. And similarly, I think maybe Rhaenyra would trust Alistair, but not Otto. So then how can it be peace? At this point, I don't really see how peace would be possible, but um, I'm kind of a cynic. so. Um... <laughs> I feel that the show is trying to get steer us in the direction of, if it were for the women, if it were for Rhaenys, uh, Rhaenyra and Alicent, there would be peace in the realm that was in the interests of the realm. But because of the momentum of men, there is not. And the power of men, there is not. Maybe I'm being too reductive. But that was kind of the the feeling I was getting as the episode went on. Um, Surprise you that during the coronation sequence, Rhaenys didn't kneel. Like multiple times, there were shots of everybody else kneeling and Rhaenys was just standing in the background smiling. And definitely loving the scene, but refusing to actually bend the knee. Maybe she feels a bit like the Queen Mother, like sort of, you know, like a sort of equivalent to the Queen. Like I could have been Queen. I don't need to, 
you know, I don't really need to bend the knee. But yeah, it was surprising to me. And it was surprising to me that it felt with the camera angles, they were they were deliberately picking that out, weren't they? Um, maybe it shall prove fateful. Yeah. How do you feel about the two sons? Good, good acting, good casting? What I'll say is in the books, and granted, this was like six years ago, I never really read into them this much, but they are definitely better than you would have expected. And I guess it was just being polluted by the maesters calling them bastards the entire time. But if you really think about it, Jon Snow is also technically in the same level of bastard, uh, half-blood. So I, I think they are better than basically every other child except for maybe uh, Damon's daughters. Like Helena, yeah. Um, but what's interesting is, is that Jon Snow grew up always knowing he was a bastard. And if not knowing who his mother was, then at least never having been lied to about her status. What surprises me about, the, about these two boys is everyone says they're a bastard. Look at their hair. They must know they're bastards. And yet their mother has always fervently denied it. Wouldn't that f- make you a bit resentful towards her? And yet they seem to have a very good relationship with her. Like they respect her. They tell her what they're feeling. When she swears them to an oath, they agree to it. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any kind of frostiness between sons and mum. For like, mom, if you hadn't fucked this guy, we would have had a claim to the throne. What were you thinking? You know, um, that speak to like their their reticence towards ruling because they know deep down that they aren't true Targaryens, even though they're technically half Targaryens. Mm, maybe, and maybe and, if you think that Targaryens are sort of species different from normal men, maybe it speaks to a lack of ambition because they don't have that Targaryen lust for power. I don't know. And then a stupid question: uh, Does Luke look too young? Or was he supposed to be that, like, the age difference? Like, just compared to Aemond and compared to Jace and all the other sons, he just looks noticeably, like, almost too younger than everyone else. How old is he when he dies? He was born in 115 and he dies in 129. So he's 14. I think he looks about 14 to me. Well, how, long, how old do you think he looked? 12. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you're going to age up everybody, it seems insane that you wouldn't age up Luke as well. So if you assume it's a five-year age up, and this is completely pulling this out of my ass, but then he would be closer to 19, and he definitely doesn't look like he's 19. Oh, no, no, no. He definitely looks more like the age he was in the book, for sure, which I felt he did look about right for that. But it's a weird time, isn't it? Because it just depends when puberty hits different boys and when they get their growth spurt. So I guess you could have gone for either option. I thought it was a decent actor, though. Like, he had a small role, but, you know, pulled oh, no, it off. I think you... He was a brilliant actor. Uh, just overall, the age dis- discrepancy between Eamon, who looks like he's 30, yeah. and Luke, who looks like he's 12. It's just like, oh, okay, this is awkward. Mm. Jock, any thoughts on the, the two boys as characters? Um, I'm not quite sure. Like, um, I don't feel like I've um, gotten quite a good impression of them, to be honest. Like, um, they're neither bad nor good. Uh, um, like, um, they're just... They like, are. Um, amazing acting um, or but nothing bad either so um. yeah I thought they were quite spunky especially the other one I felt, I felt they I quite admired them and yeah remarkably non-resentful given the troubled stories circulating about them so yeah but alas poor Luke we never never really knew yeah Eamon, on the other hand, they're leaning into the fact that he's a total, total psycho. But it's interesting, however, that when his, ma- as you said, massive dragon, right, that the relative scale was off the charts. I'm guessing this is accurate, but whoa, he just ate that other dragon like a little Ritz cracker. There is a look of absolute shock and panic on Eamon's face. How are you, how are you reading that? It was almost like, like, what are you expecting? You chased him on a dragon that's ten times the size of his dragon. Your dragon chomped on him. He's fallen to his death. Was it 
Are we try? Are we meant to read that face as oh shit, I didn't expect him to die, or a uh, oh shit, mum's gonna find out, she's gonna be really pissed off, or oh shit, I just started a civil war, or maybe all of the three? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't like a Machiavellian, ha ha ha, I killed him, the little tyke. I guess the, the there's multiple parts of this question. A, do you believe this is a deviation from the book? And if so, then you could argue that he is surprised. Or if you think this is actually what happened in the books, and he's not as psychotic as he was. Or do you think he is, excuse me, do you think he is as psychotic as he was in the books? Or is this a deviation where he was just trying to mess with Luke, and then the dragons got out of control and killed each other? Yeah, is this just childish adolescent, you know, hijinks that got out of hand, or was it intentional? I guess the look on his face would, would hint to the former. Um, I'm trying to think back to what actually happened in the books, though. I think in the books, and it's it's been a while, they basically said he chased him down, which is similar, and then he killed killed Luke in brutal fashion, which is a deviation, which to, to shows credit. Obviously, only Aemon and Luke were there, so you really can't get a clean understanding of what happened. Just based upon personalities, you would think it would be more brutal or deliberate than it was in the show, and I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, any thoughts on this, Jock? Um... Honestly, I thought it was sort of like an intimidation tactic. Like, that was his plan. Like, um, he was just really intending to sort of, like, um, scare the guy. And um, then it got out of hand with the other dragon attack and um, Velax. Yeah. I'm just trying to Google. So, one I was born in 110, and Luke was born in... He was born in 115, so he's 14. So, that means that what's it was 19... Yes. So it would be perfectly possible for to not be fully in control of the situation, I think, and also not in fully in control of your dragon. I mean, this is a, a, as we're made as it's made very clear to us, right? Like a sort of a war veteran dragon of size. Um, he does look genuinely shocked and genuinely like, oh shit, what have I done? Which I think is probably legitimate, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it'll be interesting to see what everyone else is about that. Anything else on the events in that part of the world? Like, this is us getting off that one location in this episode. How did you feel about the political, which which of my daughters will you marry, piss off your young pup kind of attitude? Anything to say about that character or that sort of that laying out of that scene? I guess the only thing you could say is, would it have better, excuse me, would it have been better for Luke to have lied and said, I'll choose the your daughter A instead and then worked out the whole the circumstances later assuming that this is actually a political play rather than actually being truthful and honest and saying I'm already betrothed yeah, yeah. Um, I think just that was, that later. I, I, I think um, Rob should have just started marrying everyone like he he doesn't bother to say marry everyone he likes <laughs> He could have, couldn't he not have said, I'm not available, but my brother is, or has the brother also been betrothed? They're both betrothed to both daughters. Ah, okay. Yeah. I mean, there you go. I don't think there's much he can do. Again, he's 14. I mean, like, he probably doesn't have a flipping clue. I was thinking, can dragons take two people on their back? Like, why not send someone else with him who can treat as well as him? It just felt like, what what did you expect? You sent a kid into a negotiation. I mean, it's kind of nuts to me. Um, I guess who could they send, though, that would have the authority to marry a, a royal prince to an ally? Mm. Like, if they sent Rhaenyra, she could do it, but that would be completely... Like, if you send Rhaenyra, you don't have to send Luke, obviously. Yeah, it's like, it trumps it, doesn't it? So, yeah, you're right. So the logic of it, to me, is kind of illogical, I guess. You don't send a kid in to do a man's job. 
Um, poor kid. Mm. I forgot. You said we can spoil Fire and Blood, right? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can. In fact, we can spoil anything because Mary's not one, and we've all watched Game of Thrones. So honestly, we can spoil whatever we want. <laughs> so, do you think, from a macro perspective, this portrayal of the killing is going to make Blood and Cheese way worse for the Blacks than it did in the books, where? At least in the book, it seemed like, on Eamon's part, this was an entirely barbaric act. And while Blood and Cheese is worse, you could see it's more proportional. Like, now it's going to seem like a clear overreaction. Mm, gosh. I don't know, Jock, do you have any theories on that? I um, don't know. I guess it would depend on, like, how the story gets out and who says it and stuff. Like, um... Like, if it comes from, like, um, people loyal to the Black, like, they might exaggerate what Eamon did. Or um, maybe even Eamon would um, exaggerate himself, like, um, in order to not, like, seem out out of control. Like, he comes up with some sort of dumb scheme to, like, um, say, like, he did, like, all these barbaric things on purpose. I don't know, like, or depend how they like it. Mm. And I guess it's fairly obvious that Eamon killed Luke since... There's two dragons and then the dragon's no more, but that seems to be a fairly fast, like, we found this out and we send a raven to uh, Rhaenyra. Or, like, in general, if your storm's end, do you want to be the one sending that message back that, oh, by the way, your son is dead? <laughs> yeah. Not us, sorry. We, I promise you, we didn't do it. It wasn't us. We escorted him to his dragon in one piece. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I guess the family knows the story about the one eye and that there's beef. So, yeah, maybe maybe they won't accuse the... And and you could tell he was getting nervous as well, right? As as host. He was like, oh, shit. Like, not, don't, don't do anything on on my... In my territory. That would not be good. Um, yeah. It's hard to tell. Do, when do you think we're going to get to Blood and Cheese? Do you think that'll already be in Season 2? Or is that more like a Season 3? I think you have to put it in Season 2. Or mm. too much time is going to pass between the two acts. And, like, that's a... I don't want to say yeah. a high point, but that's a... A noteworthy episode. episode it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see if they do get it. Like if they really do not have any ambiguity and just show that it's Aemond ordering the deaths, whether they try and keep some sort of princes in the tower like ambiguity around it for sure. Um, so while all this is going on, we've got a little uh, Damon going to bond with a dragon, which I thought was very cool. Just generally, this whole episode looked cool and was cool. And then finally, we get the news getting back to Damon, mum and dad. Well, actually, not mum and dad. Mum and new husband. And all you see is her being told with her back to us. And then she turns um, with this amazing acting look of sort of sadness, rage. She is now wound up for action, for sure. Any comments on all of that? Sort of the the way in which the episode uh, winds to a close? I know we also saw Alison Arado's reaction, but it, it makes sense from the standpoint of like, the emotional point, but it would have been nice to see both sides have a final reaction outside of Eamon's, oh shit, what did I just do? Yeah, I guess they've kind of been hoist by their, their self-imposed idea of having the green episode and then the black episode, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Although I loved her owning that space at the end of the episode. You just think, God, this woman's gone through so much this season, gone through so much in this episode. And again, it is a little bit events, dear boy, events. Like, events have overtaken her. Like, whatever her idealistic in a way, you could argue both Alicent and Rhaenyra are quite naive and their idealistic hope for peace is just overturned by events. Um, yeah. Are you still agreeing at the end of this series? Well, not series, uh, season. Of the season? Uh, sure. Um, it, one, it's fun to play devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, 
at this time because I don't remember what happens in the book outside of Blood and Cheese. Um, I can't actually remember what side is stronger at this point. Obviously, the dragons would make it inside sound like the uh, the blacks are stronger, but I've read too much fan fiction. Like it's all like merged with like sort of um... the reality. <laughs> um, oh. Both the I um, did enjoy um, was um, them keeping Glover Tully's name. I hope they keep all of them up at names. Yeah. I don't remember any of that stuff. It's, it, in a way, I feel part of the reason I've enjoyed this series is partly because it's just very well done, but partly because I've liberated myself from actually remembering the books at all. But I feel that purely on what's shown to us in the show, I feel it has been far more sympathetic to Rhaenyra than Alicent. I think it's also been sympathetic to her too, especially in the last episode, but I feel that it's far more to Rhaenyra. But overall, I feel that, especially at the end of the, this episode, um, it feels very deterministic. It feels very much like these were inexorable forces. It feels to me a bit like World War One, like it was just, you know, at some point there was going to have to be a bloodletting and it probably couldn't have been stopped just given where everyone was on either side, which I find quite sort of fatalistic and quite sad. Mm. It'll be so interesting to see what everyone else thinks. Um, well, obviously, like... Um... Those of Luxembourg would have disagreed quite a lot with that statement. Like, um, she believed strongly that if SDP just um, stayed with the whole working class unity thing and didn't um, um, authorize like the bonds and stuff and resisted the war, like it could have been uh, prevented. But I, I bet you that this, this is the only bit of of podcasting or fan reaction to House of the Dragon that mentions Rosa Luxembourg, and this is why it's always great having you on job because. Yeah, <laughs> we've definitely, I think that, well, A, I agree with you. I think she would disagree on that basis. But, um, and yeah, let, World War One and the causes thereof is another another side podcast. But this felt very deterministic to me. Sorry, Jeff, what were you saying? I, I was just going to say I, I don't hate any of the characters, which is somewhat surprising. Um, yeah, and the triumph of the writing, maybe, and the acting. I guess the, the one, the other question is, uh, in the bridge scene, which is obviously a callback to when Rhaenyra was on the other side when Damon stole the dragon. But do you think Damon would have followed Rhaenyra's advice and not killed the not killed Otto there? Or no? <laughs> yeah, I think he's a hothead. I think everything we've seen this season shows that he's just a hothead. He uses violence as a sort of knee jerk reaction. Um, do you think it speaks? to anything remotely profound that both of um, Rhaenyra's sons seem to be decent sorts and both of um, Alicent's sons seem to be total shitheads like to, to their to the environment they were raised in to their mothers to anything at all really is it a bit cruel on Alicent the writing both from George and then the adaptation to make her son so absolutely hateful I mean you said you don't hate anyone surely I mean do you not dislike Aemond one eye oh, or do sorry. you just think or do you just think he's a kid, so no? I don't like Eamon, but I, I would argue that if you don't include fire and blood, Eamon's an asshole, but he's not a terrible person compared to his brother or even, even Damon. Yeah, that's, oh. I think compared to the brother, yes. Compared to Damon, to be debated. But then again, I suppose Damon, as I always keep forgetting, did kill his first wife. so And he's just tried to strangle his second or at least bully her. So yeah, actually, Damon is pretty bloody despicable. I do think there's an element in which the fact that it's Matt Smith and there's a residual fondness for Matt Smith makes me keep forgetting just how horrible Damon is. And I guess we're starting to see that more in this episode, right? The sort of insidious, nasty, controlling nature. There was the, the scene when he's um, con like strangling, throttling his wife reminded me very much of Portrait of a Lady, Henry James, adaptation starring... 
John Malkovich and Nicole Kidman when Gilbert Osmond is doing that to the to the heroine, his wife. Like she is the one with all the money and therefore the power, and he wants to as- assert his manly control over the marriage, and he he you know physically and emotionally abuses her. Um, yeah, I hope you see more of that. I hope you in season two because I think that is it's a rich portrait to see such a strong woman, but so so intimidate well momentarily intimidated anyway. Um, really fascinating. Well, well, I do agree that Rhaenyra is clearly the better mother of the two. Uh, I am kind of curious if the absence of Viserys, one, either because of his health or two, of his just his general demeanor, compared to Harwin Strong, also had some foundational issues with both of the boys on either side. Yeah, like, was he just a good father? Yeah, I think that's valid. Anything else from either of you guys on this episode or on the season as a whole? Um, Jock and I have had plenty of opportunity to discuss it, but Jeff, is, this is your first flashback on the season. Anything else you wanted to say that you particularly loved, didn't like? Um, you said you had some problems with it, with some of the choices. Do you want to give us a few sentences on that? Uh, sure. Um, I, I am very much in the mindset of not being able to overlook like plot contrivances. So probably the best example would be the uh, hyperspace kamikaze in The Last Jedi. Um, but specifically about... Um, I didn't enjoy last episode when Rainey's broke through the ceiling of the dragon pit or the floor for her her escape. I loved the scene and I loved the look between the two, but I, I just don't think that in world she would have put herself in that position. And it's relatively hard for me to suspend my disbelief in that aspect. And that partially ruined last episode for me. Oh. No, that's that's sad because it is an epic scene. For me, it was more having done that. Why didn't she just roast them all? But I think, yeah, if you give them the agenda of trying to show the women as more reasonable rulers, that works. But yeah, I can see that. And I think you're not alone, right? A lot of people had that issue with it around the writing of her character in general and then that scene in particular. Um, well, it was sure. more of I'm going to break through the floor, kill thousands of small folk, and then I'm going to turn leave, around. Yeah, leave the rulers untouched. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck I'm you, small folk. Scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean it uh, yeah i agree um anything else from anyone else okay dear listener we hope you enjoyed this final episode um as much as we did and that you've enjoyed some of the commentary that we've been putting out as vassals of king's grave over this season there will be as i said a full dragon cast and wolf cast this is just a little flash Vogue teaser um if you want to be part of the discussion because i'm sure there will be plenty of con- controversial things to discuss in this episode as there always are do join us on our Discord um, server. You can find the invitation to it by going to vokpodcast.wordpress.com. Find us on Twitter, various other places, and you'll you'll get the link. In the meantime, stay crispy. Bye, everyone. Rhaenyra was a pretty princess, and she was the realm's delight. And her dad did declare that she was his heir, and the Iron Throne was her birthright. But Queen Emma died in childbirth, the king soon took another wife. Now Alicent wants her son on the throne, and it's left the realm in strife. Oh, it's all kicking off between the backs and the greens, cause Emma Aaron didn't have a son. Now the swords will flash and the togs will clash To the echo of a dragon song Now Rhaenyra married Leonor But he preferred the brown and not the pink 
She had three strong sons, not a silver hair on once a Harlem Strong's the sire everybody thinks. Now Alison gave the king more children, and Aegon was the eldest son. Soon the princess and the queen became the blacks against the greens, and the dance of the dragon soon begun. Oh, it's all kicking off between the blacks and the greens, cause Emma Aaron didn't have a son. Now the swords will flash and the togs will clash to the echo of a dragon song. Now the king, he has a brother, the dragon rider Prince Daemon. The first wife he stoned and the second one was burned, but he wasn't left alone very long. For he is a true Targaryen, they like to keep it in the family. When not riding Seraxes, and he's riding on his niece, a rogue prince forever he shall be. Oh, it's all kicking off between the Bracks and the Greens, cause Emma Aaron didn't have a son. Now the swords will flash, and the togs will clash, to the echo of a dragon song. Oh, it's all kicking off between the Blacks and the Greens, cause Emma Aaron didn't have a son. Now the swords will flash and the togs will clash to the echo of a dragon song.